Well, it's good to be here again and to be uh, talking about 1 John in particular. Uh, in my talks when I've come here over the last uh, year, I think, uh, I've been taking talks from 1 John and we come to the last passage in 1 John this morning. Uh, and um, I'm calling it Security Forever. Um, the um, people to whom this was written, and it's very appropriate for us as well, uh, are being accosted. That is, they're being uh, challenged by people who think differently. And uh, some of them have been in their own church and left, and uh, so it's been quite disturbing and distressing in relationships for them. Anyway, uh, John, all the way through, is um, saying, I want you to be sure of this. These are the things we can know. And today he says we can be sure that we've got eternal life. Um, that's what he wants to talk about. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting to talk about eternal life. Now, if you said, um, we're so used to the phrase, you know, probably the most best-known Bible, Bible verse is John 3.16, um, where Jesus says, or John says, we're not quite sure who says it, but John's reporting what Jesus means. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the alternative to having eternal life is perishing. It's not just an add-on, it's an alternative. You have one or the other, you don't just have both. So you have either perish or you have eternal life. So it's important to have eternal life. Now when you say eternal life, the most thing that would come to mind is that it lasts forever. It's uh, eternal, it doesn't stop. Um, but when you think about it, um, why do we stop? Well, we stop because we die, pretty bluntly. And, and we die because we sin. In the day that you eat thereof, God told Adam, you'll surely die. And he ate it, and ever since then, we all die. So it's not just that we die, we, we die because uh, we are sinners. That's what happens. But here it says we're having eternal life. So what we're talking about is not just that we're going to last forever. We're actually uh, going to survive the judgment. You know, we're not going to perish. In other words, we're not going to die. It's really quite astonishing what he's actually saying. And, um, and all of this happens in a very simple way. And it happens simply because we believe in the name of the Son of God. And uh, later on we'll have a look at that a bit more as to what that means, uh, to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's a very simple thing to do. Uh, from one point of view it's simple, uh, but then again it's not all that simple because Jesus said that um, no one that the Father did draw, draw, drew would actually come. And it's true. We, we've got dear friends and uh, we've talked to them and they've got no idea of what I'm saying. Uh, and then we can talk amongst uh, Christians and then we actually find that uh, th there's a lot of understanding. Why is the difference? Not because some people are intelligent and not others, others not intelligent, but because the Father gives us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what are you saying when you say that someone is the Son of God? It's enormous. Uh, you're actually saying that here's a person standing, it's Jesus Christ, and he's talking to people, and he says, I've come down from my Father. And he says, I'm telling you what God wants you to know. 
So it's not quite, not something small to believe that God, that Jesus is God's son. It's enormous. Uh, and you're not only saying that, you're saying that God is a God of relationships. He's not just father, he's son. And he's also Holy Spirit. So God is a communion. God is a God of love. You can't love if there's not two people. There's no one to love. I suppose you can love yourself, but that's not really love. You know, I mean, love goes out, doesn't it, to someone else. And so God is love, and God loves his son. And he sent his only beloved son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, so that in the same way that Jesus is eternal, we also could be eternal. That is, death has been answered. There's a, there's a way through. So it's no small thing to actually say that we believe in the Son of God. Uh, it's, uh, but eternal life is not just something that's permanent. That's the first thing, and it also means that we're not going to perish. Uh, but it also means uh, that... Um, uh, it also means that uh, the, the world, for example, doesn't have permanence. I mean, everybody knows they're going to die. That's, that's how it is, isn't it? Everybody knows they're going to die. Uh, but a Christian knows not just that there's some vague sense in which things will go on, but they actually know that they'll go on living. Uh, I mean, a phrase that means a lot to us now that Chris and I are both in our 80s uh, is that nothing we do in this life that's done in faith, hope and love uh, fades away. That's very interesting, isn't it? That means that not only are we going to last forever, but that what we're doing now is permanent. That's interesting. Because uh, in the book of Revelation, it tells us their works follow them. And Jesus made a funny little statement. We've got so used to it, we think it's normal, but it's a funny little statement when you first heard it. Uh, Jesus says, no, you, you'll, be, um, you'll be in heaven and you'll be rewarded. You remember you gave me a cup of cold water? And we said, when did we do that? He said, you know, I was in jail and you came to me. Well, Jesus wasn't in jail. It was one of his followers. But you see that Jesus is with everybody that belongs to him. And he says, inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. So he says, you gave me a cup of cold water. And millenniums from now, he's still remembering it. Oh, I like that. That means that... I can go out and I can visit a, a, a person. I'm hoping to go and see this person again that I'm thinking of right now. He's old. He's afraid of dying. And I think by going, I can help him. And uh, so it's lovely to be able to just go and do that. Uh, and, uh, well, well, that's got some value maybe for a week or two. It'll make a fellow feel a bit more comfortable, right? No, it's permanent. It's eternal. That's good, isn't it? I think of, you know, I've got a lot of decades to look back on now, and I think they're all gone. All gone. All the days in Port Perry, all the days in Lags North, all the days in Orford Vale, all gone. No, none of them are gone. And all the lovely relationships that we've had over the years, they'll all be there. Isn't that lovely? Somebody rang me after 40 years of leaving Morford, uh, Port Perry. And they rang me up, they found my address and said, thank you for being my partner. I was just a 20-year-old, or 25, but they found it helpful. Isn't that interesting? 40 years later, he wants to tell me, well, what about millenniums from now? Still remembering it. I tell you what, 
This is what we're built for. We're not built for temporariness. We're built for permanence. And you can't have it outside of Christ because you die. Somebody has to give you eternal life. And John wants us to know, and I want you to know, that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you can't do it unless God helps you. Because somehow or another we want to be in charge ourselves. It takes a revelation from God to show you, oh, this man came from heaven. This man is God's son. And when you trust in him as God's son, God gives you eternal life. From our point of view, it's very simple. It's very wonderful. So that's what he's talking about. Um, What we want to do is to find out what this eternal life looks like or security forever. What does it actually look like? And there's three examples that came in this little reading. And... um, Uh, The the, the passages all run together, but I'll divide it into three. What does it look like? What does this eternal security or this eternal life look like when we pray? Because he talks about that. What does this eternal life look like when somebody sins? That seems to muck everything up, doesn't it, when somebody does the wrong thing? I remember going to see a person who'd committed adultery. That's an awful thing to do. The person repented, they're forgiven, and they're Christians. It's lovely. Um, But um, Christians sin. They do wrong things. What does this eternal look like when people sin? John talks about that as well. He says, says, there's a sin that is not to death. That's very interesting. The third one. uh, What do we do when the world calls our faith fairy tales? Because he ends up this little section saying, I want to tell you about what's real. And he uses the word real or truth three times. Um, in fact, there's, three, there's two words for true. Um, one um, that means not a lie, and the other one means uh, real. There's two different words in Greek, and, and so they're generally translated true, but this one clearly means real. It's got, it really corresponds to reality. So that's the third one. So that, what, what, is, what does eternal life look like when we pray? What does it look like when we see a Christian sinning? And thirdly, what does, the world, what does it look like when the world thing calls our faith fairy tales? Which, of course, it does. Uh, any of these things can threaten our assurance that we have eternal life. So we need to address them. Well, first of all, uh, what he says here is that we can expect God to answer our prayers. Just like that. Here's the words he says. This is the confidence that we have towards him. See, eternal life is not just a duration. It's not just a rescue. It's also a relationship. Jesus made it utterly plain. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you said. So, you know, do you know what I mean? We're not just about talking about duration. We're talking about a relationship. Um, for some people, they wouldn't want their life to go on forever. And it's not just because they feel sick, it's because they're sick of people. But here we've got an eternal life that's worth having forever. You know, you actually know God. And you can talk to him. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about here, you see, this eternal life. What does it look like when we pray? Well, he says, this is the confidence that we have towards God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's not bad, is it? 
That means uh, you'd really want to read up his Bible and find out what his will is, wouldn't you? You know, we prayed it this morning. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, to quote Milton, uh, thousands at God's bidding speed and post our land and ocean without rest. And they also serve who only stand and wait. That's, uh, that's Milton's ode to his blindness, I think, isn't it? Anyway, thousands at God's bidding speed and post our land and ocean without rest. That's the angels. Uh, so God's got plenty of people doing his will in heaven. And we're asking that God's will will be done on earth as well. So you'd really want to know your Bible, wouldn't you? Just to find out what God's will is, and then you can pray according to that. Hey, presto, you've been listened to. Well, that's, that's something worth being in, isn't it? I mean, if you found a good company and wanted to work for them, you'd study up their protocols, wouldn't you? And you'd try and fit in, because you want to be part of the show. Would that be right? Well, here's something you can be part of, uh, and you can find out what God's will is, and then you can pray, and you can be part of it happening. And that's really quite, that's really knowing God, isn't it? Uh, being part of, part of it like that. Uh, this is not just a hotline to God. This is a relationship, as we've been saying. He's given us a part of his family business, if you like, and he's explained his will to us so that we can share in its outworking. That's an amazing privilege, but it's also an amazing power. I don't know where you'd get on if you couldn't pray. There's a lot of uncertainties in this life, isn't there? There's health, there's finances, there's relationships, there's where your children are going to end up or how they're going, and you don't know where it is. What would you do if you didn't have God to go and pray to? Um, Just so changes everything, doesn't it? So it's not just a privilege, it's a power. And a person who can pray can have a serenity that isn't available in any other way. You know, if when something goes wrong, it can niggle you, can't it? But then if you can say, well, I've talked to the Father about that, it'll be okay. That's good, isn't it? And a person who can't do that is like an accident waiting for a place to happen. Because God meant us to be able to pray and to have him to talk to. And he meant us to have that power. So it's a privilege and a power, being heard and being answered. Because he says, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, he said it twice, we know we have the requests we've been asked of him. That's really quite powerful. So our praying is part of this certainty. We've been born to this family. I just think of the number of people that must have prayed for me, including those who prayed for me when I was a boy and died before I grew up, but prayed for me. And boy, have I sinned, but I'm still here. Mm, It's good, isn't it? To be able to pray, because a lot of these things that happen in this life are not safe and good. So what does it look like when we pray? Well, there's some idea of what it looks like. Secondly, um, there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Now, if you're going to pray, you have to deal with some bigger issues in life. You can't just say, oh, God bless so-and-so, God bless so-and-so and keep them safe. I mean, that's kind of okay, but really a prayer is something that you can't live without 
and only God can get for you. If you're not asking for those things, you're not praying. You know, why be cheeky enough to ask somebody to do something you can do for yourself? God, please give me breakfast and then stay in bed. I mean, get a life. I mean, that doesn't work like that, does it? You don't ask for God things you can do yourself. You ask for God, ask for, God for things you, that you really, really want. Not just things you think you ought to pray for, but things you really need, or your kids need, or the neighbours need, or the world needs. Uh, and so you pray for things you need, and you pray for things you can't get any other way. That's prayer. And um, so here we're actually looking at somebody and they're actually sinning. And so you're having to deal with issues that are quite big. And sometimes the sins that people commit, I think, again, this lady that I met some years ago, and um, she and her husband came to me and she just committed adultery and she wasn't repentant. And that was how it was. The marriage broke up. And she went off with her other fellow. Um, as I say, that lady's now a lovely Christian lady. She's seen how wrong it is, what she did. There was a, you see, that sin was not to death. And I guess numbers of people prayed for her. Do you see, that's quite significant, isn't it? Because some nasty things happen in this life. Uh, that's what he says here. If you see your brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sin that don't lead to death. Now, have a think of Peter. Jesus announced beforehand that Peter was going to commit a sin. That's the apostle, Peter. He says, no, he says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows, and in other words, before the sun gets up in the morning. And he did. But he says, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter failed. Peter sinned, but it wasn't a sin to death. And Jesus knew. So he prayed for him. And he didn't die. That is, he had eternal life. Now, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Uh, you can have a sin that is, now, by nature of the case, if you sin, right from that Adam onwards, the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Uh, so sin does, and, and, and uh, in this very letter, um, he's, uh, he's, incidentally, I should just say this, that uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, John is not talking about a particular sin, like, for example, I've mentioned adultery. Well, what about murder? Perhaps that's unforgivable. Uh, or perhaps um, uh, insolence to parents is, is, is unpardonable. Uh, and so over the years, the church has tried to list sins which are mortal and sins which are venal. Have you heard those phrases? I use them more in the Catholic Church than we do in our Protestant churches. But nonetheless, they tried to itemise certain sins that were one category because of this phrase. But you can't do it like that. Because the worst sin can be forgiven. And something rather minor that nobody even complains about can turn out to lead a person to death. It's not whether a person commits A or B, but whether a person goes on committing that. You see, what goes on here is Jesus says, sorry, John says earlier in this letter, he says, um, um, I'm just having said that, I've 
Uh, that's right. Uh, he cannot go on sinning. It says, because God's seed is in him. In other words, he's been born of God. The Holy Spirit's come to him. He's been born of God. And, and then he sins. And because the word sin is in the present tense, and if we spoke Greek, we'd understand this, uh, that when you speak in a present tense in Greek, you're, meaning you're, going, you're talking about something you go on doing. If you do it in an aorist tense or a past tense, you're talking about something just happens and that's all gone. So, but a person who goes on sinning, that's the unforgivable sin. It's not what the article is, but it's a case of whether you go on doing it. And John says, has already told us, he says, a person that goes on sinning, God, a person who's born of God can't go on sinning. You sin and then you hate yourself. And then you feel miserable. And some people, when they get to that stage, and I talked to a fellow around his swimming pool one time, he'd left his wife for a fortnight, and then he went back to her, and he felt so ashamed, he'd never come to church again. He went back to his soccer club, but he never went back to church. And I apologised to him, I said... I don't know, we got it so wrong at our church. He said, somehow we conveyed to you the impression that if you do A, B or C, you're no good anymore. Do you see, he wanted to stay where he was in his, I don't need God to forgive me. But if on the other hand you say, I've been stupid, and then instead, and I may make a practice of it, when I find myself in a miserable state, not wanting to worship, maybe even thinking about something I shouldn't be thinking of. Yeah, that happens too. What do you do? Run straight to God as quick as you can. You feel in yourself it's the last place you want to go, but it's the first place you must go. Why? Well, you see, the soul that sins shall die, and when we sin, we know that that's what we deserve. And so that's why in the Bible it says, in this book it says, I write this in chapter 2, he says, I write this to you that you may not sin. But if we do, it's interesting, isn't it? Nobody wants another Christian to sin. So let's not get it easy about this is how it doesn't really matter. I write this to you that you may not sin. It's awful to sin. But if we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the propitiation for our sins. He died instead of me. That's that serious. And that's why it has to be the Son of God that does this. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can even, even live a decent life. If you told me today you reckon you're living a decent life, I say, I'm sorry, I'll, I don't believe you. None of us lives a decent life. There's only one man there that did it. It was Jesus. He was totally unselfish. That is astonishing. Is that true? He loved God with all his heart and soul, mind and strength. He knew the world had a maker and he loved him. Anybody that's not doing that is sinning. There's only one man that ever got it right and if you're going to have someone to fix you up, it's going to have to be Jesus and you're going to have to say, you're God's son. That's how it is. 
So there's a way to go. Uh, we can expect God to hear our prayers if you've got eternal life. And if you've got eternal life, there's a sin that doesn't lead to death because you know where to go when you do. You run straight off to Christ. And thirdly, what does it look like when the world says you believe in a packet of lies? Now that's the common phrase. That's the common ex- uh, thought these days, isn't it? There was a uh, music program on that Chris and I were listening to, or I was listening to, and it was around Christmas time, and the uh, announcer said, uh, well, here's a song, it was Carol, uh, here's a song that's based on the Christian myth uh, that Jesus came and was born amongst us and he was God's son and so forth. And um, I got up a little bit fiery and got my phone out and there's a phone, there's a number you can ring, not a ring, uh, you can send a text. And I said, your announcer said that this carol was about a Christian myth. I said, that's a bit rich. This is literally what I said. Listen, that's a bit rich. Many of your listeners believe this is sober history. But you see, the commonplace view out in the world is that we've just got a myth to believe in. And I find it very interesting where it says here at the end, uh, we know that everyone that's born of God, sorry, that's, um, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, real, it's the word, alethanos, not Alessia, it's Alessanos, which means you could translate it real. There's substance to it. We may know him who is real, and we are in him who is real. In his son Jesus Christ, he is the real God. That's the word used three times. That's why I'm talking about it. So we have come to something that's reality. Now what does the, the world say? It says, you start with... Uh, the world we can see and the idea of God is something that's created by human beings. Uh, that's an ideology. There's no proof of that. You have to be as much a believer in a faith to say that because there's no evidence for that. Uh, none at all. So you, do you understand? Atheism is just as much a faith as, as his belief in God. On the other hand, we believe that God is the one that is real and he spoke and made everything. So you don't start, start with what's seen and end up with a God. You start with God and end up with everything else. That's the reality. God is real. The idea that this creation has come from nothing, and it's interesting, there's people who've made a lifetime study of uh, of evolution and of um, uh, all kinds of areas of science and they cannot tell us how it actually happens. There is no theory that holds it together. And one of them actually said, he's not a Christian at all, but he said, we cannot prove that the world come together out of nothing, he says, but the alternative is unthinkable. Do you understand that atheism does not come out of using your head. It comes out of can't, not wanting to believe. Not because it's unreasonable. 
We believe in a God who is real. Everything else has got substance because he speaks. It goes exactly the opposite way around to what is, what is actually there. And so, um, uh, and then he says, we are of God. It's a lovely phrase. We are of God, you know. I am of Thorpe. That is, my dad was called Thorpe. And I'm called Thorpe, so I've come out of that stock. Uh, and that's how it is. And some others as well. From, you know, In fact, if you go back 20 generations, you've got a million ancestors. Did you know that? Do the maths. It's quite interesting. Uh, we've got a lot of ancestors, haven't we? Anyway, we're all of something, aren't we? But a Christian is of God. God did something, so I'm here. That's, uh, so if you see a Christian... You're not just looking at a human being who's got a faith in God. You're looking at something God made. Because only God can make a Christian. We're of God. What's the alternative? He says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And when I read that phrase, I tremble. Satan is pure hatred. Jesus said he goes about to kill and to destroy. There's no good side to Satan. And the alternative to trusting in God is that the whole world lies in the hand, maybe asleep, maybe not even aware of what's going on, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's shocking. To thing to think about. You say that there is no God and that you're only believing in things that are real. I'm not saying that God is real and he makes everything else and you're lying in the hands of the evil one and he'll get you doing whatever he likes. It's fearful, isn't it? So, God is real. But here's what he says. Um, First of all, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is real. That's right. He gives us an understanding of him who is true. And so the question is, if you, if you want to believe in God, well, why not read one of his Gospels where you can find out about Jesus and you can see if he's real or not. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, because she was wondering whether Jesus was the only way to God. That's the basic line. And, and so I said, well, well, why not just read the gospel and find out whether he's trustworthy or not? Well, just read the gospel. You just read the gospel and then you find, boy, this guy's amazing. And when you listen to Jesus, he says, I've come from the Father. And somehow your mind and heart are opened up to what is real. Isn't that lovely? How it actually happens. We know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is real, real, true, God. And we are in him. Who is real? How about that? 
If there's any reality about my life at all, it's because God put it there. The rest is all phony. It's just Grant trying to do his thing. And I've got plenty of that. Probably driven people mad with it, you know. But we are of God. And so we are in him who is true. And so the reality of our life comes from God who is real. And not only so, uh, this is in Jesus Christ, his son, which could mean he's the true God or he's led us to the true God, the real God. So there it is. What does it look like to have eternal life? Well, it means you can pray. It means you've got somewhere to go when you see a person sinning. It means that you've got a life that's real because you're in him who is real. That's eternal life. How do you get it? You simply confess that Jesus is God's Son. And it's done. Let's just pray. Father, how good you are to us, to our race, to give us a Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for that. And we ask now, Father, that you'll give us a great certainty in our life. The world is attacking us all of the time, saying we're just believing in fairy tales. But then again, Father, we know that Christ has spoken and you've become real to us. Not just real to us, but we've discovered that you are the basis of all reality. And we thank you. And now we pray, Father, if there are folks we know that are sinning, we come to you because we know you. You've wanted us to pray. And we ask that you'll give them life, not death, and you'll hear us. We thank you for that as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.